The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 13th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Judas thought, though maybe only for a moment, he thought that he was getting a pretty good deal. He could hand over Jesus. Things seemed to be going south. The chief priests and the scribes and even the people were turning against him. Maybe he can get on the right side of history by being the one who hands him over to the authorities and in the end they will praise him and give him thanks, not to mention these 30 pieces of silver. thought he was getting a good deal, at least for a moment. Who knows how long it took for him to regret that decision. It might have been right away. It might have been the moment he looked at those 30 pieces of silver and realized what he had done, but even then it was too late. He negotiated for Jesus the price of a servant, the price of a slave. That's what a slave is worth in the Old Testament, 30 pieces of silver. Now really, in all honesty, Judas settles for far too little. Jesus should fetch a higher price than that. He's worth far more than that. Certainly the chief priests and the scribes would have been willing to pay more than that for this fellow who was turning the people upside down, turning the world upside down, after whom everyone was following and depriving them of their power, he could have gotten more than 30 pieces of silver. And yet he traded his friend for a pittance. He traded his savior for what really amounts to a few hundred bucks. 
He handed over his Lord, and even if it had been loads and loads of cash and mansions and cars and kingdoms, even then it would not have been enough. But in this way, not as just a mere sentimentality, you might say of a friend, I wouldn't betray you for anything, but in this way, that Jesus was offering him something so much better than money, than silver, than anything in this world. Jesus was offering him something so much better. Take, eat, Jesus says, this is my body given for you. Take, drink, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. What could be better than that? Thirty pieces of silver will fade away. They'll get lost, they'll get worn and tarnished, they'll become worthless, everything does, but not Jesus' flesh and blood, which, in fact, is Jesus himself. That's what Jesus was giving to Judas and to all his disciples. Not just a token, not just a sign, but himself. The very Son of God was handing over his whole self to his people. To trade him for 30 pieces of silver, it's like the prodigal son who looks at his father and all he sees is dollar signs. Dad, I wish you were dead. He basically says, as he takes his half of the inheritance and walks away, what a fool, not realizing that the money is really worthless without his father, and that he was rich beyond measure so long as he was with his father. That's what the father says to the other son. He says, son, don't you know that all that I have is yours, and what could be better than having it with me? But the prodigal son trades it away. Give me my half of the inheritance, and how long does that last him? Not long until he finds himself longing to eat the pods that are fed to the pigs. That's how it was for Judas. Like the prodigal son, Judas wished that Jesus was dead. That's what he's saying. Thirty pieces of silver, and I wish you were dead. That's what the chief priests and the crowds were wishing. Crucify him. We want you dead. We want you gone. Just like every corrupt and sinful heart wants Jesus dead. The hearts that we bore into this world, make no mistake, you and I are made of the same stuff as Judas. The same stuff as those crowds who cry out, crucifying the same stuff as the chief priests and the scribes. The same stuff as those disciples who ran away and fled when Jesus was handed over. We're made of the same corrupt and sinful stuff, which in and of itself wants nothing to do with Jesus. Get that guy out of here. He's ruining things for me. He's telling me that I have to change. He's telling me that the life that I'm living is not what I think it is. He's telling me that there's something better than what I love, that there's something better than what I'm passionate about, what I desire, that there's something better there can't be. Get him out of here. I wish he was dead. Judas wished he was dead. The crowds, so do all sinful and corrupt hearts because they love the darkness, and Jesus brought light. Those who live in the darkness love the darkness because it hides their deeds. But Jesus brought light. And it is on us, it is on you, that his light has shined. Even though we are entering into what seem like gloomy and dark days, and even the sun itself refuses to shine for three hours on Good Friday, nevertheless, Jesus has come as the light shine light on your corrupt and sinful hearts, not so that you can be destroyed, not to lead you into despair, but so that you can rejoice, so that you can live, so that you can receive something far better, 
than 30 pieces of silver, far better than an inheritance made of stuff, something far better than the life that you might make for yourself, far better than all the delights and treasures of this world, something eternal and something good. That's what Jesus has come to do. Jesus has come to serve. And in that way, ironically, completely lost on Judas, he actually got it right. 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so he knelt down before his disciples and he washed their feet. And Peter couldn't stand it. Peter, faithful Peter, bold and zealous Peter, you're embarrassing me, Jesus. Washing my feet, that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not what my God and my Savior, the Messiah, is supposed to do. It's embarrassing how humble and low he is. And yet, that's how he saves us. Even to the point of death. The death on a cross that was reserved for those who were cursed, for criminals, for the outcast and the dejected. That's what he suffered. That's how he served you. And in his dying, in Jesus breathing his last on the cross, his last will and testament went into effect. This is sometimes overlooked, but that's exactly what Jesus is doing on the night when he was betrayed. He's writing his will. This, is, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This is what he wills for you. He doesn't hand over property. He doesn't hand over riches. He doesn't hand over earthly things. But he hands over his very self. Just as it would be disappointing if some relative of yours died and in the will you discovered that they gave you a photograph of a mansion or a photograph of a car or a photograph of a pile of money, it would be disappointing if Jesus just left us a memory or a symbol of his body and blood. That's not what he gives us. In his last will and testament, he gives us himself. His very body and blood. He hands it over because he knows that you need it. He knows that it is your life. And he wants you to have it. He wants you to have his life in abundance. It's what he demonstrates in washing the disciples' feet. He demonstrates how he loves you. By serving you. By making you clean. Like Peter, you have already been made clean. You've been washed in the waters of baptism. You've been given God's holy name so that whatever you ask in his name you receive because your Father hears your prayers and loves you. You've been made clean from top to bottom. No, you don't need Jesus today to wash your hands and your head like Peter doesn't need that. But he does need Jesus to make him clean. So Jesus washes his feet. Jesus keeps him clean. That's what Jesus does for you as he continues in this life to announce his word of grace to you. Your sins are forgiven. And as he hands over to you his life-giving body and blood to keep you clean so that you can remain with him. After all, the hope that we have is not just to receive something from Jesus, not just to receive gifts from him, but to be with him. That's his goal, to be with us. Such a precious gift as that comes with a powerful warning. You heard it from St. Paul. Let us examine ourselves, he says. And he warns the Corinthians because something has gone wrong among them. They've drawn near to their Savior to eat and drink his body and blood, but they have treated it as ordinary food. They've gotten drunk off of it. 
And in the process, they have ignored those who are weak and lowly and poor among them. They've left them out and deprived them of the gifts that Jesus means to give to them. And so Paul gives us this warning. Examine yourselves. Watch out for hypocrisy. No one will stop you from coming to the Lord's Supper as a hypocrite. I will stop you if you are living an openly sinful life or if you are of a different confession. I will stop you. But if you're in your heart where no one can see it, you are harboring some evil against your neighbor. If you are holding in your heart sins that you love, if you are despising the body and blood of Jesus, no one will stop you. And it will hurt you to receive Jesus' body and blood. So let us examine ourselves. Not so that we can make ourselves clean. Not so that you can get rid of everything before coming to Jesus. Not so that you can stand before him confidently saying, finally, I'm ready, I've taken care of all of my problems. But so that you can be sure that you are receiving from him every good thing. That he is going to deal with all of your problems. That all of your sins, the ones you hold on to, the ones that lurk in your hearts, the ones that make your lives miserable, those sins also he can forgive. Let us examine ourselves so that Jesus can serve us fully, not in part. So that he can give his whole self to all of us and not just part of us. So that he can wash you and make you clean and make you holy. Jesus wants you to have his body and blood. That's why he leaves it to you as his will and testament. That's why he gives it to you tonight. Take and eat. He commands you. Take and eat. Drink of it, all of you. Because it is your life. It is what is good for you. It is what you need. So come tonight. Come in confidence. Because of his command. Set aside all hypocrisy. Set aside all vanity. Come because of his command and come because of his promise. Come because you have little faith. Come because you are weak. Come because you still have to learn how to love. You have not learned it yet. Come because in his flesh and blood, this is another thing that he has willed to you, this new commandment. Love your neighbors. Love as he has loved you. Come so that you can learn that. This commandment to love as he has loved you, this is not just another thing for you to do, another command that is burdensome, another command that you cannot keep, but it is something that he gives to you. You learn it by receiving from him. So if you feel like you are frail and weak, if you feel like you cannot do it, if you feel like you are lost, if you feel like you have been lost, come and be fed and filled with Jesus' body and blood. His love pours out in abundance. His cup runs over. He holds nothing back from you. Judas received far too little in handing over Jesus, 30 pieces of silver, and he was full of regret. Jesus wants to give you something far better. All of his riches as the Son of God, his eternal inheritance, it is here for you tonight. It is here for you every week. It is here for you day in and day out. You have God's promises What a joy. Although we head tomorrow into dark black pyramids, although we head into a day that seems gloomy to the world, it is a day for rejoicing. This weekend is a weekend for rejoicing. Although we mourn, 
that our Savior had to die for us. Let us rejoice that we have a God who was willing to do it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.